Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. Today we're going to be talking about divination tools and all the different ways that you can try to see the future using tools such as oracle cards, tarot cards, palm reading, and the I Ching. Stay tuned. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well, actually. Yeah. How about you? I'm good. I have been a little bit selfish in my perspective on the world. But that's actually a good thing. I was joking with you this morning, even earlier this morning. Um, it's early. <laughs> um, I was joking even earlier this morning about how I've become that like gluten-free bitch. <laughs> and But it was really interesting. So I just wanted to tell this story really quickly. Yeah. I have always like suffered like some mild anxiety and depression. And what happened was that I started getting back pain, like upper back pain, back... Uh, just before Christmas break. And I thought it was because I was working from home and I was like not getting out enough because I didn't even have to get in my car to go to work. And I was like, oh, it's just, it's just lack of movement, which yeah. it definitely was. So I went to my chiropractor and I was like, why does my neck keep going out? Like, I don't understand this. Like, I can't come back to you every week to have you fix it. And she's like, well, let me just check if she uses kinesiology. So using muscle testing with the body. She's like, let me just check to see what is making your neck go weak. And so she has all these vials. She has like a hundred vials up on her wall. And she took one of the vials out and she put it on my chest. And then she would test how strong my muscle was when it was in my field. Right. So, um, and she started just like, everything was triggering. Like everything was triggering. She was like, uh, first it was wheat and then it was eggs. And then it was like rice. It was like every single sugar type. And then it was like all of it was causing my neck to go out. And I was like, oh, great. That's, that's amazing. But obviously, like, kinesiology is one of those things that's really good to diagnose in an informal manner. Um, it's really good for checking supplements. It's really good for all that kind of stuff. But she's like, you should just take a test. You should take a test. So I took a test that was like a mouth swab and then like a... Like mail it in and find out what you're exactly, allergic to. Exactly. And... 
the the first one that came back said that I was like immune reactions to eggs, soy, dairy, and gluten, which is common if you have gluten, if you have gluten sensitivity, because what happens is you get like the whole wheat belly thing, right? Like your gut basically kind of becomes leaky. And then you, you just develop allergies to everything because your food isn't going through the normal process that it should. It's just going into your bloodstream unprocessed. And so then your body's, of course, like treating it as an invader because it's only used to getting stuff that it has processed. And, um, but then I just recently got the DNA results. And the DNA results said that I had... Is it DNA or like a... No, it's DNA. Okay. Yeah. They said I have not one, but two genes that are anti-gluten, um, that are gluten sensitivity, not the celiac, but the other one. Oh, and wow. that, which means that I inherited it from both my parents. And What's it the means name of this that you did it. Um, Intero lab. Okay. Let's link it in the notes. Cause yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. Um, and yeah, both my parents had it and both, that means that both my kids have one at least. Right. So we're just, I'm just like the whole family's kind of going gluten free now. Yeah. Because my mother-in-law has a gluten sensitivity and she can't eat. She's been like that forever. And so then I'm just like, I bet you Luke has something, at least one, which oh, means, yeah. and if, and I don't think it's sex linked, but you know, it's a, there's then a chance that my kids have two as well, which means oh, well. that it's exacerbated. So interesting, interesting side fact. I am now that gluten-free bitch. You're the gluten-free bitch. But I feel so much better. It's been like a month and I literally am just like, even keeled. I don't get angry in the same way. I don't get anxious or depressed. Have you in never the same gone gluten free before? I have at times, but mostly it's like inadvertent. Like I was fasting, or I just decided. So to you cut just out didn't grains. know what was making you feel better. Yeah, exactly. Even though I knew that, I knew that people in my family had gone gluten free, and it had had like a significant effect on their chemistry, like on their brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. So. I've gone gluten free before, but had no, I had no secondary benefits that I. Could see. And I did it like strictly for the whole like three to six months because I think you need to wait to see if you get a, a result, but I never got a result. So I just continue to eat my wheat. Yep. Yep. Anyways. Cool. cool. So what are you going to talk about today? I'm excited for this topic. Yeah. So today I'm going to talk about divination tools because I love divination tools. I mean, and also what is a divination tool? divination tool? That's great. So a divination tool is tech divination technically means, um, like a gateway to God, right? Like it's a way to know God. And so tap into the divine to tap into the divine. Yeah. I mean, you can interpret it in whatever way you want. Most people use it for one of two things. They use it to know themselves better and their current situations better, or they do it to try and understand the timelines. So the strands of the different timelines. So they look forward and be like, you will find a man in September or whatever. So explain how there's different timelines. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as a psychic intuitive, what you come to recognize or some of us come to recognize is that there is um, in the multiverse, there are there's a law in Murphy's Law that says anything that can happen will happen which basically means that anything that can happen is happening somewhere in the multiverse. So basically we have parallel universes where anything that could happen is also happening parallel. Exactly. So I'm holding a teacup right now and in 10 of the different di- the dimensions I have dropped my teacup and <laughs> in 10 more I the cup is empty and in another one 
the t- milk turn sour or whatever. Like it's just, and ninety percent of them, you're still just holding the cup. <laughs> exactly. Or you're probably ninety nine point nine 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 percent of them. I'm still just holding the coffee cup, but or the teacup. But the um, and so when you're psychic, it's really hard because from your point in time in this space time moment at this time, you can go into a billion, an infinite number of possibilities it's a lot less likely that you're going to go into the one where you like turn into like a lizard person and you like (laughs) stomp out of the house. Right. That's like a fodder dimension is what I call a fodder dimension. It's like, it's way, way off the possibility, like the, the road. So yes, there's an infinite possibility of things that could happen, but it's likely that you're going to get like, most likely this is going to occur. There's like a hundred or a thousand or something like that. That is most likely to occur. So I've, I read a book recently that called them strands as if, they're basically threads that come off of you. Mm-hmm. And so you can pull on a strand and go down a certain timeline. A lot of people don't actually, they, they leave their timelines only, they, they deviate slightly, but be, they become kind of so routine. It was like kind of what we were talking about last time. We're all just a little bit asleep and not really spontaneous. And so. not consciously deciding which path we're going on. Exactly. Yeah. Not con- Not even that we're not consciously trying to control it, because that is obviously one thing that you can do is you can try and control it. But it's also just like, you just, you're writing it in, you know, you're not really, you're not just being spontaneous. It's like your thoughts and your emotions and your past are just determining what your next step is. Right. And so the strands are when you're a psychic, you have to like cast yourself into the future of that person. And you basically have to become like a crazy quantum physicist and be like, Hmm, what is the probability that that this this is the particular timeline that they're going to be, they're going to be on and that they're going to be there, which is why I almost never, do that like I'm never like in September you will have this I'm like I feel like that's in your future but you have to make the decisions to lead you to that exactly it reminds me a lot of like creative visualization or the law of attraction where you can control what timeline you get on you get on by what energy you're putting into it Mm -hmm. and like our teacher Robbie she often is like you know you can control the timeline by staying in the energy field of what you want to happen and then you're going to tr- more likely travel down that timeline. I think that's a lot how like law of attraction or creative visualization works. Like you're focusing on what you're having, you're happy about having that thing or that outcome and you stay in that energy and you end up with it. There was plenty of potential, you know, parallel realities where you didn't get that thing, but because you focus so much on this one, that's where you win on this if that, does that make sense? That absolutely makes sense. And that's why it's, I think it's so important to really focus on the outcome that you want and stay in the energy field of the, the, the desired outcome you want because you will then propel yourself down the desired timeline. You can think about that with elections. You can think about it with everything. Like when the coronavirus was first coming out and there was a lot of fear, I remember just our teacher being like, focus on the outcome you want. So I kept being like, thinking, okay, it's not going to kill as many people as predicted. You know, they're going to come out with a vaccine relatively soon. Like I just try to keep focusing on that outcome. And my guess is in the parallel universes, it was a, it was a lot more, it was a lot of a worse, you know, more people died. Yeah. Yeah. And, and less people did too. I remember back in June of last year, they were coming out of quarantine in a dream that I had. Like I went to a, like, I, I often go dimension jumping in dreams, and like, I was like, it was like a very, very clear dream of like the celebration that happened because some breakthrough happened back in June of last year. And I was like, oh man, I want to get on that timeline. Um, but the interesting thing too, is that I actually, as you were talking, I was giving a good ag- analogy and this is something we're going to talk about in a future episode in the new versus the now age. 
but we've talked a couple of times about this whole like if you crave that timeline like if you're like desirous of it but it's you kind of treat it like it's not already here then you actually just create like an excess potential which means that it's not likely to happen you're creating more resistance because you're wanting it whereas when you're like i'm in the energy i'm getting it Mm -hmm. it's coming i'm already feeling how it feels to have that thing or see that thing exactly exactly and it's it's the difference between like you know like on really really hot days in the middle of the summer especially in atlanta it gets super super hot here and you're just like sitting outside the pool, but you like the pool's closed because it's like being cleaned, you know, like for a temporary time. And you just like want to be in that pool so badly. And you're like, and you're just like, uh, like you just need the relief to be in the pool so badly. Like I need this money or I need this whatever. Like the trick is, is to, to not imagine what you are in your hot state sitting outside the pool and not allowed to get in it yet. Like you imagine what it feels like to be totally cool in the water itself. I like that. Yeah. And then like, just imagine like, because you're, you relax when you're in the water. You, I mean, you know, like everything changes about you. All of your emotions change. Like everything changes. Like you relax and you don't hold on to like the craving for the pool when you're in the pool. Right. So, try and mimic the feeling of being in the pool. Right. Already. I'm not, I'm not a big, I know that you have the gift of like being able to see and jump into different dimensions. I've only, there's only one other dimension where that I've, that I jump in with consistency to see, which is totally a topic for another day. But I did have one when I first gave birth, I'm just total side note. When I first gave birth to my daughter, and I was really sleep deprived and tired. I think that kind of helped break down some barriers and I was able to see other things. I had it in me. I thought I had twins. I did not. I had a single birth. I would wake up in the middle of the night frantically looking for the other baby. And like it happened a few times where I'm like, what? where's the other baby? And I really think that like on a parallel universe I had had or in a very strong, like in a lot of other parallel timelines, I must have had twins, the, 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 it had a split and I had identical twins because I kept waking up looking for that other baby. It was horrible, actually. That sounds so traumatic. Yeah, to wake up and you're like, where's the other one? Mm-hmm. It happened a lot. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I've definitely had dreams about a parallel self of mine that was like a junkie. Oh, um, yeah. And there was like an intervention in one of the dreams. And I think that like I lost my daughter mm-hmm. because of my habits and one. So like I totally get that it's just like oh so like for the viewer or the listener it's like to put it you know in 50 percent of your timelines you were a junkie and in mm-hmm. or 44.5 or whatever and for you know in a large percentage you were a junkie and a large percentage you weren't and that's why you're able to tap into that one more often because yeah yeah I, it was I, a very possible outcome yeah exactly I, though i do i mentioned the the term fodder dimensions because like, you know, like cannon fodder, um, the reason that I came up with that, I had a dream one night about one of my, my fodder, what I call my fodder dimensions in which like everything was absolute crap. Like it was probably post-apocalyptic or my life was just in shambles or something like that. And I'm always just like, I think about the bell curve in which like things are going the way that you want them to. And if you want to hope that you're at the top of your, you know, you're kind of living in the average of the things that could go good and the things that could go wrong, like if you're not intentionally doing anything, right? Like you're at the very top of that bell curve, right? The average. And then the ones to the very, the very fringes of them, right? Like the, the greater than 95% or less than 5%, kind of like those, those tail ends of the bell, 
those are like what I call fodder dimensions. It's like, like they're just spontaneous combustion. Exactly. <laughs> like they're like random spontaneous combustion. Things are just happening because they have airplane to. crash into this house exactly, right now. Exactly. Exactly. Oh man. When you said that, I was like, Oh no, no, sorry. <laughs> delete, delete, delete. Cancel, cancel, cancel. I taught my kids the power of words last night. Cause one of them, I don't know why my five-year-old starts saying, I have diabetes. I don't know where he got it. And he just started saying it. And I was like, you know what? You got to be careful what you say and careful what you think because it's energy and it's power and it can create, you know, I was trying to explain, it can jump you on the timeline, like that of that timeline. I was like, so just be careful what you say. And he's like, well, I said it now. What do I do? I'm like, you say cancel, 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 delete, 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 and the universe will take it back. So he's like, cancel, 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 delete, delete, delete. A friend of mine taught me that. And I often do that. So regarding the airplane, Cancel, crashing, cancel, 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 delete, delete, delete. Now the universe knows clearly. I did not mean that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Especially because I feel like uh, Robbie would be like, all right, girls. <laughs> she, she always says this. She's like, all right, ladies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think Very she, motherly. Yeah. All right, ladies. All right, ladies. All right. I feel like she calls us girls. All right, girls. Not okay. Yeah. We're not putting our energy there. Um, cool. So divination tools. So divination tools are really interesting because for some people, they are their bread and butter. Like they are tarot readers or they're palm readers or they're doing something like that, especially people who are professional psychics or moonlight as psychics or whatever like I do. And the pendulum is a big bread and butter for people, right? Where they It is. It is. We're not going to be talking... that. Thank you for bringing that up because we're not going to be talking about dousing, okay. kinesiology, or muscle testing because I feel like that's a whole, whole other massive episode. other topic. Okay, but those are ways people can get clear yes, no answers. Exactly. Okay, we'll save exactly. that for another day. No, but it's actually a really great point to bring up because of the fact that it gives you a binary thing. It says yes or no. Right. Right. And so you have to know how to ask the right questions to be able to actually be clear enough to get a clear yes or no. And whereas with divination tools, you get a whole story, a whole narrative, you get a whole story, you get a whole narrative, you get pictures, you get like, you could, you can just get like so much stuff from divination. There's no binary part Mm -hmm. of it. I'm more of a binary. Like I get my yes and no I get my yes, no answers. I have to ask the right questions. And then um, sometimes I get more information, but I have to be in a really good s- space mentally to get that. Yeah. Anyways, all right, let's yeah. hear it. I think you get really inspired for the question, though. Yeah. I feel like that's that's like a that's a form of divining anyway. Like if you're asking for a yes, no question, you just become good at g- asking, asking the right the questions. Asking the questions, yeah. I'm good with certain techniques that like I feel like I've mastered, like... Mm-hmm. Like there's certain guides I can hear clearly and it's in full sentences. It's not yes or no. And then there's like when we do the um, feed your demon, which we talk about in like every episode where you you personify an issue and let it visit you. I've gotten, because I've done it so much that, I don't know if you would call that a, divina- a divination tool, but they appear. It's very clear. I get my answers in sentence form, visual form. It's mm-hmm. not binary. But anyways, that's totally a topic for another day is the binary divination tools. Mm-hmm. Yes, no answers. And let's hear about your tools for Yeah. So the first one I'm going to start divination. with is palm reading. Okay. And the reason I'm going to talk about palm reading is because that's where I started out. So interestingly, when I was, well, I think it's interesting. When I was traveling and when I was um, backpacking um, back in my 20s, a lifetime ago, when I was backpacking across the world for a year... I picked up, uh, like my favorite thing to do when I was in India 
was to go to bookstores, which is really actually, I think like throughout my life, that's been almost my favorite thing to do, but especially to go to like used bookstores and just be like, Hmm, what in the world is here? And in India, especially, um, actually I think it was in, this was, I picked this book up in Nepal in in Kathmandu and in, in Tamil, the kind of tourist area of Kathmandu. And there was this one bookstore that was just like absolutely amazing. And they had a palm reading book that they had a bunch of palm reading books actually. And I was like, it was just my like one minor stroke of entrepreneurial something. I was like, what if I learned how to palm read and then I could get paid or I could just like, you know, like all the people I met, I could just be like, Hey, let's get to know each other better. And I'll read your palms because back then I was, I had been working as a chemist for a long time and I was very much of the science mind. Like I was into herbalism and I was into alternative medicines, but like the whole kind of other mystery kind of things like, I wasn't necessarily believing of it. I was just, I thought that the, that the art of palm raising was actually like a science and I could just teach myself it. So I started reading the books and, and I started just palm reading people, anyone I came across. I, in fact, I actually also got my palm read by like some sannyasin, like on the banks of the Ganga, like when I was in Rishikesh and the way that the he, Ganges River, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was really pretentious to say the Ganga. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> the Ganges River in Rishikesh, and you know the way that he did it, and I could, I think maybe I was just like learning the way that he did it, because he was like very accurate in the kind of broken English Hindu kind of mixture that he was t- talking to me in. But so I just racked up dozens and dozens of people that I was reading that I was palm reading based on what I had learned in this book. But then I was starting to recognize that I was like saying things that the, the book hadn't told me to say, if you know what I mean. Like there, it was like, there was like, I was basing my kind of deductions, what the book said, but then I was also just like, kind of, I was always extended. I was always like exaggerate whatever so the book it, said. It's like my, my, I like to call it Dumbo's feather. Like Dumbo, the elephant, Disney elephant could always fly. He thought he needed the feather to fly, but he actually could always fly. And the feather was just the tool to give him the confidence or some sort of like structure to believe he could fly. Sci- the science of the lines was your Dumbo's feather, but you had it in you to psychically interpret these people's hands regardless. Exactly, exactly. Especially by just, even just touching them, I realize now that just like, just by touching their hand or just by touching any part of them, it's like one of the most um, acute psychic connections that you can make is by physical touch. I had like my tea leaves read in New Orleans once and the lady said all these things that was like accurate. And I was like, well, how do you do it? How do you do it? Like, what's the science of these tea leaves, right? Um, which is like you drink some tea out of a cup and what, however the tea leaves. Mm-hmm. And it was, she was like basically telling me the Dumbo's feather thing. You know, she's like, I don't know. It just comes to me, but I have to see the tea leaves to like be able to even say it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. So the cool two, the two cool things that happen is that by the time I had racked up dozens and dozens, I was living in, or I had, I was in Turkey. Actually, I think I was in Macedonia. I was in Macedonia in a Turkish village in Macedonia. <laughs> <laughs> right. Random. And uh, the friend I was with who was Turkish was like interpreting, they found out that I could palm read and apparently like everyone in the village wanted me to palm read for them, right? So one of them was uh, a man and he had what was called a simian line, which is basically like, if you look down at your palm, like you'll have um, a line that kind of goes around your thumb and then which is your lifeline and then you'll have one that comes off of that, which is your headline and then you'll have the one that kind of is separate that usually comes off the right, like off your pinky side, that's your love line, Right. And 
he didn't have any of the on his on his on his dominant hand, right? So he was right-handed. On his dominant hand, he had what was called a simian line, which meant that all those lines disappeared, and there was seriously just a single line between his right so and what, his left. So what did hand. it mean? So the interesting thing is that okay, so basics of palm reading is that your non-dominant hand is is hand is future is actually your nature. Okay. And your and your dominant hand is your nurture, right? So your non-dominant hand is is closer to what it looked like when you were born. Okay. Right, and then the trials and tribulations and everything that's your happened work, to your you, job, the your way work, you move your, your job, hand, yeah, yeah, the choices that you've made go into your dominant hand. So you can kind of see the difference between what destiny was like when you were born and how you and then which timeline you chose exactly which timeline you've chosen. So his dominant hand had a simian line, and simian lines are indicative of like kind of a simplicity for lack of a better word. It's kind of a bad way of... Simeon means simp, like a monkey. Simeon means monkey. Yeah. Yeah. It means ape-like, right? And I was just like, I was looking at his hands and I'd never seen anything so dramatic before. And I was like, I was saying this through the translator. I was like, something happened to you. I was like, I was like, something traumatic and terrible happened to you. And it's, and you have not gotten over that trauma. And it's changed your whole life. And it's changed your entire life. And I was just like, I was just, I was probably not filtering myself. I hope the translator was, but, and I just kind of kept going on and on and on about all this. And I was just like, I didn't go into even like how you could remedy that because I wasn't even doing that. I was just like reading what it was. just like, what? Turns out the guy was stuck in the Istanbul earthquakes. He was literally stuck in a building for like a day or two trapped after the Istanbul earthquake that happened back in the nineties, I think it was like a really big one. And, and it had, and that was the event. Like it, that was the event. Like he was like, yeah, that's, that's what happened to me. And, and it changed everything. It changed everything because he was like, uh, he talked about how he, how traumatized he was and like how much PTSD he had from that event. Right. And he was like living in the country in the middle of, you know, wow. in the, in this farming country, tobacco land in Macedonia. And then the other one was the mother of the translator. I did her. And I was like, you had three kids. And she's like, and her, her son, who was the translator, he was like, no, she's only had two kids. And she looks, and he's like in his lower 30s at this time, like he's in the uh, early 30s. And she looks at him and she's like, no, I had a third kid, but I lost him. He had literally lived with his mother for 30 years and never discussed the fact that she had a stillborn child. Wow. So you did a reading for a friend of mine. And I remember it was before she had children. And you said that she was gonna. She had the potential for three kids, but would have two children. And fast forward, she got pregnant with triplets and lost one, and has had twin kids. Did you know that? I, I don't did know not if I ever know told that. You. I don't yeah. think I ever told me that. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. They're like six years old now. Wow! Wow! That's cool. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> nice. So I got my palm read once mm-hmm. um, years ago from the uh, dishwasher in a restaurant I worked at. He had this gift, and he looked at my palm, and he's like, "You have the potential for three kids, but you will have two, something like that, right?" He said something like, "You'll have two or three kids. The third one's kind of blurry or something." Like it mm-hmm. was just kind of like, and I thought, "Okay, well maybe like I lose a third or I don't know what." Well, I have a stepdaughter and I have two children. So isn't that amazing that like fast forward 20 years, it was totally right. Oh, wow. That is so cool. Love love it. Love this stuff. Okay, Okay, let's move on to the next one. Yep. So the next one is tarot decks. And tarot decks, we could honestly talk the entire time about tarot decks and about its history. And it's really interesting. And maybe we'll do that in a future one. Tarot decks are big on Instagram right now. I think Uh, it's because it's a a way to, to do divination long distance. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, in theory, yeah, you're right. Well, palm theory, reading is is kind of you can take pictures of people's palms. But you I think. can't touch them. 
No, you can't. I mean, in theory, you could do palm reading remotely, but it is much harder unless you have like the specific tool for it and you can do, but you're right. Like tarot reading is tarot reading and astrology, I think are like these two things that have just been like steeped in our culture. And so people are using them as like gateway to this kind of world Mm -hmm. in in particular. Right. And obviously we're not talking about astrology or any of the kind of like ways of reading a person today, but the, you know, when it comes to tarot decks, tarot decks actually originated from decks of cards right? So it, there are four suits and there are the court cards. So there's like the, the Jack the, or the knave, whatever you want to call it, the Jack, the queen, the king, and the ace are all uh, like that's, those were the original tarot decks were actually playing cards. And then obviously they've evolved since then. So for any of you guys who have like, just as like a 101 primer on tarot decks, tarot decks in particular, when we say tarot decks, for me, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about a deck that has a major and a minor arcana or arcana, which means that the minor arcana are like the, the suits, like the, the, what you would consider the two through 10 in of four different suits. And then the major are the zero through 21, um, starting with the fool at zero and ending with completion or the world at 21. And you, the major arcana are always like, whenever you pull a major, it's always like, oh, I pulled a major. You know, like in the... There's 21 of of those. Yeah, there's 21 of them. How many, how many cards are in a tarot deck? Uh, That's a great question. I want to say it's 72. Okay. Um, Well, you brought some, so I'm going to take a peek. Yeah. Yeah. I brought the Osho deck here and you should actually get those out so that you can pick a card so you can do... um, My husband has an extensive tarot card collection upstairs too. Are you serious? How in the world have I never known this? I do too. I like... Oh, he has like 10 of them. uh, I have like probably... And I've never seen him actually doing it, but we have like tons of cards. Oh my God. I totally need to... I'm going to now pick his brain about that in addition to all the other things we talk about. Right. The four suits differ depending on the particular cards that you're going to have. Right. The, normally the four, the pip cards, um, which are the minor arcana, are wands, cups, swords, and spades. Or they could be diamonds. Wands. Well, actually, there's a lot. Of, I'm not even going to say it because there's a lot of argument about which one of the playing card suits matches with the common thing that people use now. And so it's actually wands, cups, swords, and pentacles or discs. It's really interesting because I have an Aleister Crowley deck. And it doesn't say pentacles, it says discs. And I don't actually know the history of... Crowley was like an occultist who was like loosely associated with um, Satanism. And so (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if if like in order to make his deck more commercial, they turned it into discs instead of pentacles because pentacles are so like normally associated with with Satanism. Right. Um, But in the Osho deck that I want you to pick a card from, there is clouds, which is representative of mind. Rainbows, which is representative of the physical, water, which is emotions, and fire, which is action. Okay, um, I'll just pick a random card. Yeah, that I'm guided to. All um, right. Yes. Yeah, and so do th- I have to have an intention, or how does it work? Uh, just pick a card for the day. Okay. Pick a card for the day. Show me a card that best reflects the timeline I'm on for today. <laughs> yeah, and and actually, while she's picking that, I'll kind of describe the process that I go through when I pick a card. Um. Actually, I love, there's a show called His Dark Materials, which is on HBO right now, and it has a really good description of how you have to clear your mind in order to be able to tap into the consciousness of the, of the universe. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a series I recommend anyway, but 
it's like a matter of just like feeling, feeling which one you're, you're, and sometimes your hand will just do this crazy stuff, but you're just like, whatever impulse you have as to where you want to pick your card, it's like where you go. Is that right. how you do it? I picked one and it is maturity and it's a beautiful picture of some woman reflecting. Is it a, what is it? Can I, what's the number? And the, it's rainbows and it's, what's the number? It doesn't have a number. Ooh, is it a, oh, okay. So I think in the Osho deck, not having a number is like the equivalent of like a zero. Um, if you go to the very front, you can see. Yeah. It's like the, I think they call it like the ace of or something like that. But the Osho deck is beautiful because it has, it, it will always have a quote from Osho himself. Mm -hmm. And then it'll have an interpretation of why they chose the particular drawings that they did. And that's the beauty of tarot decks in general is that like someone was channeling the image, like the artist or the person who provided the brief for the artist was channeling what that card meant. So when you read tarot decks, when you read tarot cards, um, and what I do when I read tarot cards is that there is always going to be like four different levels of what you're reading on it. The first thing you're reading is the suit itself. So for instance, almost always with swords, swords are almost always considered negative or cutting or piercing. Um, They're very, very like directional. And usually, especially in this Osho deck, like almost anything that happens in the swords is considered somewhat like uh, just, just somewhat negative in, in whatever basically it's slicing through decisions, which for most of us feels like it's like cutting off different possibilities, right? right? Because it's like, you think of it as like a sword. So that's an example of that. I'm not going to go into detail today about like all the different things, but the opposite of that is usually cups because it's like representative of the divine feminine. And it's always like abundance and everything's all fantastic and perfect. Or in this particular deck, it doesn't actually have a clear um, equivalent, but so first you're looking at the suit especially if you have a suit and then you're going to be looking at the number, right? So mine was ended up being ace of rainbows. Oh, cool. Cool. Do you want to read? I don't want to read the whole thing. Yeah. It's maturity. I'll just do the summary, which is when you draw this card, know well that this moment carries a gift for hard work. Well done. Your base is solid now and success and good fortune are yours for they are the outcome of what you have already been experiencing within. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. And there was, just so people know, there's like a two-page summary. Like I could go into more detail read, reading it, but. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay, so so the next you're going to be looking at number, and I'll just give an example. One is usually almost always very clear and good. Like the one of cups is just like, woo, abundance. The one of swords is like very clear, decisive action. The 10 is almost always a completion, right? So it's almost like I'm always, always doing something like that. And then when you get, and then when you get to nine, nine is usually like, ah, you're almost to completion, but you're not quite there yet. You know? So it's like, you can, you can look at a tarot and like lots of different ways to be able to just like, even if you don't memorize exactly what the book says and exactly what it means, when you start to look at it from a whole bunch of different angles, like you start to say like, okay, like where's this relative to everything else? Like when I do a tarot card spread, I usually do three things and I'm always, it's funny cause I always do it from right to left and as opposed to left to right, I've just like always instinctively done that. But I usually do the first card I picked is the overview of whatever it is that I'm talking about or wanting to ask a question about. The second one is always the challenge that it presents. And the third one is always the outcome. A lot of people do past, present, future. There's obviously a million different spreads that you can do. So when you do a tarot deck, it's like, 
you can be really, really analytical about it and you can like read the whole book and you can like, you know, kind of map out everything and what this means exactly and da 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 Or you can kind of just say, okay, generally I understand that the ace is a card of like clear decisiveness, right? And, and like everything is like, there's only one possibility of how this is going and aces are really good to get. And that you know that when you get a court card, it usually means that it's like a representative of a person or like the personality like kind of of a person. So anyway, like I said, I could honestly talk about tarot decks forever. And I say tarot, which also feels very pretentious. Yeah. But. Tarot, Basel, or Oregano, <laughs> Ganga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm totally a pretentious bitch. I'm totally fine with that. You're that gluten-free bitch. <laughs> that gluten-free bitch on that pretentious bitch. I also say commune. Um, but you, what you can tell is that I have been trained by hippies who are still hippies, right? So like all the original people from the New Age back in the 70s, they like they like developed this language and this way to like say things in a different way. Like they said, they didn't say commune, which sounds like something from Russia. They said commune because it's all about community, right? It's about communing. So it's like, you have to say it the right way because otherwise it has this like derogatory connotation. Tarot, I have no idea where the fuck that came from. Like I literally yeah. did tarot. I, I remember I was living in Asia for a few years and when I came back home, I was talking about the the Himalayas and I called them Himalayas because that's how they call them there, Himalayas. And I like, someone was like, what the fuck? How do you, how did you even live there? And you don't know how to say it. And I, and I was like, and I was like, well, actually I just go back to saying it Himalaya. But I mean, I remember just like accidentally being like Himalaya. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So I'm going to quickly go through the last ones um, as we finish up here. So runes are also a, that's actually where I started out when I first got my first thing, because like as a kid, it's really fun to like have a bag full of stones and like pick out stones. The runes date back to like the third century. So runes are like little rocks. They're little rocks with Nordic symbols, symbols on them. And they were from an original alphabet and they all have their specific meanings, but they're like Viking. They are Viking divination tools. They are Viking divination tools. And, and even it says that like they were used in England from the fifth century CE, AD, whatever you want to say. Like Stonehenge kind of time. Exactly. Like by the Druids sort of that they were very well used for that. Um, and runes are very much like So would cards. that be a good gift for my children? <laughs> it actually would be a really good gift for your children. All right. Honestly, like if you wanted to give, um, I got a starter tarot deck when I was like maybe 15 or 14 and it actually had like the descriptions at the bottom of the cards and that was really great. But I was like old enough to be able to read well and like, you know, could interpret yeah. them. So runes was was just an awesome kind of entryway into, into divination because it just felt like it feels like the it's just different. I don't know. I can't, I can't explain it other than to say like, it's a really Very good way ju- for not, I don't want to say juvenile cause that, I don't want to like undermine, undermine it, but like, literally. it seems like a very, um, earthy, solid kind of yeah. grounded divination tool. So yeah. good for kids. If exactly. you have children who are very like into, yeah. And they won't bend the cards. Esoteric stuff. Yeah. And they can't break them. Yeah. <laughs> My kids were like, do do the dog's astrology chart last night. Like they were like, we want to know what her moon is. You know, they're just like really into this stuff, obviously, because, because you're, you're it's, their mom, <laughs> I'm their mom, but they were like, they, they would love something like that. Yeah, no, that's really good. So the next one is the I Ching. And obviously you can I talk, love the I Ching. Yeah. The I Ching. Or as I would call it, I Ching, because I'm not pretentious. 
<laughs> so fucking pretentious. <laughs> but you're chewing. Sorry. Um, yes. So the I Ching is actually dates back to, uh, it's, it's, it's unknown, but between the 10th and 4th century BC. Okay. Right? So much older. Um, and it comes from the Middle Kingdom. It comes from China. Um, I love, I love it. I'll call it I Ching because that's what I thought it was. But yeah, I love the I Ching. Yeah. I, I've done it when I was like, you know, 16, 17. Explain, the, explain how you do it. But I remember just getting like really deep, deep answers to questions and I loved it. Yeah. To me, I, to me, it resonated more than tarot. Yeah. Tarot. So, <laughs> so, so basically the I Ching originally, yarrow sticks. So yarrow is an herb um, that has a really straight, tall stalk um and when it goes over winter like you can always tell where yarrow is because it's like or yarrow sorry that's another pretentious thing i always used to say yarrow but apparently it's yarrow and and you can always just tell where it is because the stalk because you get like two short and two long sticks or something and you have to yeah you throw the cast tell me if i'm right you like cast them and you get either like you know four one of you get four pattern, like long, long, short, 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 long, short, long, long, exactly. short, long, short. And those will then be the divination tools that correspond to a book that will tell you what the, that the um, pattern you got means. That's exactly. And it. I remember when I did it, I didn't have sticks. So the other, you could just flip a coin. So heads now became tall. Um, tails was, was short, short or whatever, yeah. whatever you designate it. And then you would just cast your, your coin four times and you'd get your four. That's exactly. And it was a, a hexagram. Um, I think most of it's six. So basically you have three on top and three on bottom. Okay. So it's six, not four. Um, cast. and so you're going long, short, long, short, long, short. And as a, I think it's 64, there are 64 combinations when you do that though. I feel like there has to be more if you have six different things that could have two possibilities, but and and it's really great. There's actually one of my favorites is from one of my teachers, um, Carol Bridges. She does the Code of the Goddess. She hasn't actually, she has a whole bunch of, of Oracle decks, but she's never published this one. And I've encouraged her to publish it for years, but it's a feminine goddess version of the I Ching. It's not very masculine because the actual I Ching is very, very masculine in its nature. It's like very kind of inadvertently patriarchal, which is fine because I'm, that term didn't even exist when it was around. So it's called the book of changes because it's all about changing. It's all about how it's, it's all about like, how do you, how is the situation changing? Which I think is a really great way of, of actually being able to hone in on people because you can say, because most of the time when I read people for divining, it's almost always what is stuck and wants to change or what is currently changing. So this is like a, the way that they say the book of changes is great. And what it's called is this is actually a form of claromancy which is a casting of lots. So you can use die, you can use yarrow sticks, you can use coins, but it's this whole idea that in the randomness of a coin toss or in the randomness of like putting down sticks, you're able to actually, there isn't actually randomness in that. There is actually order in that that has messages and it's everywhere. Okay, well, while you were talking, I just casted, cast the I Ching for Mm -hmm. the viewer. I said, okay, let me, let's throw down some coins for every listener, let's mm-hmm. give a message for the listeners, okay? Mm-hmm. So the answer I got was was short, long, short, 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 and that the it corresponds to the hexagram P or Pi, I guess, which means bonding. And there's a poem and this and that, and it says the analysis of this hexagram is, and I love it. I think it's fitting for what we're doing here with a podcast. This is a time of connection with another or others, not just an alliance, but a melding of parts into a new whole. Such a connection may be too close or too intense, intense for some. 
Consult the oracle again to see if you have the qualities needed to strengthen and withstand such an intense synthesis. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Very cool. I love I Ching. I Ching. No, I do too. Um, yeah, well, okay, so the original reason that I called the I Ching is because my teacher, who originally taught me that, the woman who did the um, the Code of the Goddess, which we'll put a it's link to. It's probably correct, because phonetically, I means E in other languages, probably. Right, right. And she also was like, I used to call it Feng Shui, and she's like, no, it's Feng Shui. Like, it's always Feng, like the E sound, that E is like an ung sound, and so oh. it's, it's Feng Shui, and so, and she, and she always used to get on my back about it, in a loving, wonderful way. Okay, so the last thing we're going to do... Um, we could talk about tasiology, which is what you talked about, tea leaves, um, but we're not going to. That's There's like different forms of scrying. You can look at crystal balls. There's so many different well, oh, things. Can, but, well, instead of this, or or in addition to this, could you explain really quickly the crystal ball? Because we see that on Disney movies yes. growing up, and I've never actually met anyone who does crystal ball divination. I don't even know how it works. Yes. Yeah, so scrying is what it's called. It's a base, Scrying is like another word for seeing that images... Are ba- basically, I love it. If you look it up on Wikipedia, everything's like, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, you can see images in a crystal ball. The basic idea oh, is Oh, so that, you're just seeing images in y- there. Yeah. So the idea is that like if you, because if you look at a crystal ball, the way that it's, it's shaped, all the light from the surrounding area comes in and is bent in crazy ass ways. Okay. Right? So if the, if the lights are dim and there's a candle then basically the candle is going to be like casting. But if you can say images in your head, you don't need the crystal ball. No, 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 not at all. It's again Dumbo's feather. It's another Dumbo's feather. Exactly. All right, got it. Um, But the idea is that any kind of, you can do it with crystals, you can do it with anything that's like transparent, but the entirety is that the crystal ball itself, the way that the physics of the light go through it, make it so that there's a lot of crazy images that you can see in it that are like, oh, that's really freaking cool. Okay, so, and then the other thing you can also do is psychometry is, uh, there's like a million things that you can do, which is where you just pick up an object, right? So if you get someone's ring or if you get something like that, I accidentally, (laughs) I accidentally did it with Civil War bullets once. And I was like, this one's fake. This one's fake. And I was like, and this one's not fake. (laughs) And you're just like, it's kind of cool to be able to do it. So the last category is Oracle cards, which are my particular favorite. Oracle cards don't Call, don't fall into the realm of tarot cards, even though they are decks of cards. I didn't even know that. I thought they were all the same thing. No. So tarot cards, I always call tarot cards tarot cards because of the fact that they have suits, major and minor, minor arcana, and and court cards, right? Okay. So like they're very structured and they, there's a million different versions of it, but oracle cards are just like anything, anything. anything that you want to do. And so... One of my favorite, absolute favorite, because I have to call her out because she's absolutely amazing. Um, Alana Fairchild does a couple of decks that are incredible. She does a crystal mandala one, which has like ascended masters and whatever. She has a sacred rebels deck, which is so great. But my favorite is her Rumi Oracle. And it is so beautiful because it has a like each card when you pick it, it has like a um, it has a quote from Rumi. And then it has like kind of a channeling from Rumi and then it has her talking. And like the way that she channels the message is like really wonderful. And the thing about Oracle cards that I have to say is like the caveat is that you almost never get a negative card in a Oracle deck. It's always usually like feel good. Let's like, you know, and so I think more of the Oracle decks that are coming out now will have a tendency to kind of have something that's like just very straight to the point. Like, cause I'm gonna get you to pick a card from the Moonology Oracle cards deck here. So do I make an intention or just, yeah, pick it, pick it for our audience again. All right. Pick. 
I'm picking a card which will give a message to the person listening to this right now. The intended message is new moon in Leo. Confidence is your key to success. Awesome. See, that one's really straightforward. I love it. Yeah. Like if we were to talk about Alana Fairchild, I could literally like, uh, I, would, I would have to read too, it for, for, for anyone listening. Like the, the illustrations are just gorgeous and peaceful. Yeah. I love that. And that's what they're meant to do. I think that Oracle decks, I mean, if you look at them, they're usually featuring an artist of some sort. Like look at these cards. Oh, wow. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And my sister's an artist. She should totally make an Oracle deck. Like yeah. these are great. Yeah. Well, that's great. So I guess, I guess in summary, there's a lot of tools out there. If someone is very spiritually intuitive, if you're not generating images and thoughts and, and sounds inside you and you want to look externally mm-hmm. for some sort of connection to, to the spiritual world, these are a lot of great divination tools that you can play with and explore. And we'll link them all in the, in the notes. Yeah, I'll definitely supply some of my favorites. So yeah, no, great. And I would encourage you to like recognize that you can stay very, very grounded in this experience. You can literally pick a card and read what it means. Or as you become more comfortable, you can just like expand your mind and be like, what does this actually mean? Yeah, drop the Dumbo's feather. Yeah, drop the Dumbo's feather or still use the Dumbo's feather and just expand what it means. Fly a little higher. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. Please be sure to take our quiz. What is your divination tool of choice? It's found on our website, thisspiritualfix.com. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.